We'll talk about Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 14. Matthew chapter 24, 3 through 14. I'm title this is to some of the signs of the times, signs of the end times in some degree. During Jesus' day, the temple that was standing there was what they call Herod the Great's temple. Herod the Great was uh, a Jew, really an infidel Jew, which was uh, empowered by Rome to rule over the children of Israel. He was a traitor to his own people, and he profited off of his own people. He was the most wicked guy you can imagine, Herod the Great. He had children which were also wicked. And so he built, he was a politician above everything. He knew how to keep people at bay. Though he was somewhat of a traitor to his own country and a a despot of Rome, yet he built them a temple 46 years into the making. 46 years he built them a temple. So pretty hard for them to be mad at him after building them a temple. He didn't build them just a little bit of temple. He built them a big temple, big old massive temple, something you'd want to look at and go, ooh, ah. This was the temple that was uh, standing when Jesus, when, when in the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son. And Jesus, this is the temple of the Lord Jesus. And the disciples often would look at this temple and say, man, isn't this phenomenal? Isn't this isn't this great? Look at the carvings. Look at the stone. Look at the, how they were cut and all that went on there. And so Jesus kind of had to bring them to a reality looking down the road. Imagine how hard it was. I know we can't imagine this, but you can give it a shot. Would it would have been for God to manifest himself in the flesh and to walk among us, short-sighted, short-tempered, selfish, self-promoting, self-seeking, wicked, oftentimes intended people. But he loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ, not only did he die for us, but he was birthed among us, and he walked among our kind. I think one of the harder things for the Lord Jesus was to it's what he didn't say. Of course, being God, he had complete control of that. But there's so much Jesus didn't say and couldn't say. Often he'd say, my hour has not yet come. I mean, there's parts of the Bible I'd say, Lord Jesus, if you just told them where you were born, they'd know you were the Messiah. If you just told them, well, you may think I was born in Nazareth, but I really was born in Bethlehem. Whoa! Well, we know the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem from Micah 5, 2. And they would have went, well, but he knew their heart. And he knew even if they knew he was born in Bethlehem, that would not have convinced them somehow or another of, of who he was. They cared about themselves and their nation and their political position and their wealth and their family so much more than they cared about God and the truth. And so I'm just going to go down through verse 3 through 14 and emphasize a few things here about the, the day which we live and the time which he talks about as the time of the end, which is a season. 
you have to look at the world as a whole from the birth of Jesus to today. If you're a student of history, for a long time, things did not progress. People were still using horses right up into the 1800s. They were using horses and, and uh, oxen and various things to plow with. Oh, Tom took me to Haiti for the first time, and I saw people plow with a single a single plow with two oxen or two horse or two mules or whatever. they Sometimes people were trying to pull it. And uh, I thought to myself, that's the way things stayed for millennium. And it's only been in the what they call the industrialization of the world where the inventions began to start taking place. The invention of the steam engine, that made a huge difference made a huge difference the way things work. The invention of the combustion engine, gasoline combustion or diesel combustion engine. The invention of the discovery of electricity and, and the light bulb and, and communication over a wire telephone. And then the uh, uh, with the motors came the invention of the jet engine. And from the jet engine came the planes and all kinds of other things. And and just it began to become exponential. These inventions began to roll exponentially and develop, and one helped develop the other. And here we are in 2023 with things that even our parents would not have imagined. And we have them in our hand. The telephone you carry around, that smartphone, is a massive computer. Massive computer just years ago in the 60s. If you'd have shown up in the 60s with a smartphone that worked, they couldn't even imagine it holding that much information. I have a smartphone that has 256 gigabytes. Gigabytes. My first computer was an XT, a Microsoft XT. It had 40 megabyte hard drive, and the guy told me when he sold it to me, you'll never need another hard drive. I said megabyte. Never need another hard drive. This is the biggest year. I couldn't imagine. He said, you can take all these documents and you can't put this. He just went on. And just Oh, it's just phenomenal. You laugh. You laugh. That's not been that long ago. That's been 40 years ago, 35, 40 years ago. And now we have computers with terabytes, two terabytes, five terabytes. I think we got a computer that does our cameras is five terabytes, some crazy number. I may be wrong on that, but it's huge. We have 42 cameras and in, in high-definition cameras. Say hi. One back there, one here, and other rooms. We do that really for the safety of the children, for the safety of the school, and so we can reproduce an event that somebody says happened, whether it be true or not. There are no cameras in the bathroom. That's illegal. There are no cameras where they shouldn't be, but we have cameras around just to kind of keep. But the, the, the computer it takes to run that thing and to record it, it'll record six months worth of high definition. Unbelievable. And they got things that make that look like nothing. They got, they got, you're going to link up to, the internet was invented. These are game changers, right? I mean, these are game changers. These are worldwide game changers. So people ask me, brother, are we in the end times? Yes. How and I don't know. Uh, we are not going to know the day or the hour of the coming of the Son of Man, but we will know the season. 
He told us we'd know the season like we know the seasons now. What season are we in now? We're in the summertime. We know that by what we look around. Pretty soon the leaves change up north. But even south, even down here, things change. My leaves change color here. I know you don't believe that, but there are certain plants I have get brilliant red down here when we have our first frost in December. That's our fall. Our fall lasts three days. Then we go into we go into winter, which lasts two days. And then we pick up spring, which is January 3rd, all the way through about March. At the end of March, we big ball back into a six-month summer. It's the tropics. You don't live in the subtropics. You live in the full tropics. The subtropics stop at Venice. But from Venice south is the full tropics. That's where we're at. I love this. I love the floating mountains. But he said, if you can tell the seasons by the trees and by the leaves and by looking around, he said, you're going to be able to know that the times are coming, the time of the end is coming. As I said this morning, the things that are, are being propagated in our country right now are the very things that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for. And if you don't think the sound of their evil is coming up in the ears of God, you're wrong. And so we start with verse 3. The, the disciples started out. He sat upon the Mount of Olives. Now, I've been there. i got to pause for this. He sat upon the Mount of Olives. Some of you have just recently been to the uh, Israel, and you'll know what I'm talking about. I stayed in a motel. My wife and I stayed in a motel on the very top of the Mount of Olives. It's called the Seven Arches Motel. Now, it may be called something different now, but we stayed there in 92, 1992, right on top of the Mount of Olives. And you know, Jesus, it says in Zechariah, is going to come and put his feet on the top of the Mount of Olives, and it's going to break in half, one part toward the north, one part toward the south, and water is going to come up out of that, and water is going to run to the Dead Sea and going to run to the Mediterranean. Well, the water that runs to the Dead Sea is going to heal the Dead Sea. It's not, they're going to have fish again in the Dead Sea. You say, it's hard to believe. No problem for all. I believe it. But we're standing there on that. And from one side of, of the Mount of Olives, you can see the city of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, just five miles away. By sight, that's just short. And so the other way you can look, and you see the Temple Mound, as they call it. That's where Herod's temple was. Uh, that's where Solomon's temple was also. And so that's where the uh, post-exilic temple was. That's the temple they built when they came back from Babylon. So Solomon's temple was destroyed. And then they came back from Babylon. They built another small, very conservative temple. said the old man wept and the young man laughed because the young men were glad to have a temple at all. The old men were sick that it was so small and so humble compared to Solomon's temple. And then now we have a third temple. That when Jesus is here, it's called uh, Herod's Temple in 46 years in the making. And Herod's Temple was probably the most grandiose temple of all of them. And so he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and you can see that whole temple mound. They could see Herod's temple and all that went with it. And the disciples came up to him privately and said, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, he's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about the actual second coming of Christ when he, as I said this morning, pronounces himself to be king of kings and Lord of lords, and taking control of this old world for 1,000 years. And so he says in verse 24, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. 
That means that people can and will try to deceive you when it comes to the things of God. The effort of the devil and men is great in this area. The very definition of truth is that truth is singular. You can't have three, four, five truths. You can't have plural truth. You have singular truth. And with falsehood, however, can be multifaceted and diverse, and diverse, not divorce, diverse uh, 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 teachings. In other words, how many lies can there be over one? There can be a thousand lies over something, but there can be only one truth. Now, when I was in high school, they started teaching relativism, just the beginning. What we're reaping today is 40 years of sowing. It's not just happened overnight. It's 40 years of sowing. Relativism, humanism has been taught, been pumped down the throat of, of these kids at school. And they've used the school system and media and movies to mostly get the word out. That's the way they get their word out, through magazines, movies, media, all kinds of media, especially the schools. They get the kids young and begin to teach them. They, what they started teaching us in one of the classes, now we're talking uh, this class, I went to high school with 3,000 kids in it. And most of us were, were uh, Christian-based children, meaning we've been raised in a Christ-based society with the Bible being respected, King James Bible, and uh, uh, the, the way of God being respected. That doesn't mean that we're all saved, absolutely not. doesn't mean they all were all for it, but they had a basis of truth from the Bible, right and wrong. They've been taught right and wrong, etc. And so... Here this professor comes in there and starts telling us there's no certain wrong and no certain right. And we call that now postmodernistic thinking. Uh, Josh McDowell wrote some books on it. You ought to get them. We've tried to propagate those books and spread them out about explaining what that whole postmodernism is. I've preached on it specifically. But it's a thinking that basically you make up your own truth. You make up what's right in your mind, and you make up what's wrong in your mind, and whatever you decide to be right is right, and whatever you decided to be wrong is wrong, and nobody can come around to tell you that you're a sinner because you're not a sinner because you've decided what's right and wrong, and whatever you decide what's right and wrong, that's what it is. So they take away the whole doctrine of violating absolutes. They do not, they do not teach or believe that there are such things as absolute truth. That is, that is even knowable, or you can know it, but you absolutely, we know you can know it. We know that God is an absolute. There's no shadow of turning with him, it says. There's no variableness with him. God is who he is. He's what he, what he was, what he is, and what he will be is the same. And they will be judged no matter what they've said or no matter what they've taught. They will be judged because they have been deceived into believing something that's not true. And Christ, knowing that, says, let take heed that no man deceive you. That's big. There's, they're tra- you're, you are under, and our society is under, a massive effort to lie and deceive you and not tell you the truth. Now, I'm not conspiracy mentality. I really am not. Some of you may be, but I'm not. Never have been. I'm not. I just... I just can't put it together. It just doesn't make sense to me that there would be. I think the devil is in control of the world. I think he's the head of all conspiracy. 
Yes, he. I believe in, in, in demonic conspiracy. I believe in, in uh, satanic conspiracy. But I do not really under, think men are smart enough or have longevity enough to really do a whole lot of conspiracy. That's kind of where I'm at on all that. I think the devil really is behind it all. And he, he yes, he is trying to conspire uh, the end and put his man on top, and he's going to do that. So it says here in verse 5, for many shall come. I want you to circle that word, for many. For many shall come saying, I am the Christ and shall deceive how many? Thank the Lord tonight, it does not say all. Thank God it doesn't say all. He'll deceive many, but that doesn't mean all. And I believe you're here tonight, and you believe the Bible tonight, and you're not deceived tonight. You can, in fact, we're here to call them out. We're the salt of the world. We're the light of the world. We're here to tell them you're wrong. Why do you think they want to push us out of everything that we can, they can push us out of? Why do you think they want to shut us up and everything they can shut us up on? Why do you think they want to take the Ten Commandments away? What is it going to hurt to have the Ten Commandments displayed outside of a town? Elkhart, Indiana had a beautiful, magnificent granite Ten Commandments. Some ACLU or some stupid bunch of lawyers got that thing removed. You tell me what's wrong. I'll tell you one thing that I just saw recently, a post that said, don't go to San Francisco, it's too dangerous. They could use a little thou shall not kill. They could use a little thou shall not steal. They could use that right now. This is a spirit, which I'm going to get ahead of myself here, so I can't do it. i got to stop there. For many should come in my name saying I'm the Christ. You say, when does that happen? Well, David Koresh, recent history. David Koresh, Texas. I heard him on a tape say, I am the Christ. He was a liar, self-deceived. Jim Jones, I heard a tape. He took a bunch of 800 or so followers, followers, I think, down South America somewhere and killed them all, had them commit suicide, a massive suicide of 800-plus people. And I heard on a tape, he said, I am the Christ. So you may say, well, no, but I've never heard anybody say they're the Christ. They're, they're doing it. They're doing it. Just what Jesus said here, many shall come. In. How many? Many, but not all. They will deceive many, but not all. The blossoming of cults and cult leaders and the, and the prosperity of their movements is, is, a, is a fact of history. Here he's saying it's going to come. We look back some 2,000, almost 2,000 years, and we say it's happened. In the 1800s was the Seventh-day Adventist. In the 1800s was the, was the Jehovah Witness. In the 1800s was the Mormon Church. Those are three big players in false, in, in cults or false deception in our society today. And every one of them violate the Bible grossly and challenge the deity of Christ grossly. For many will come in my name and say, I'm the Christ to deceive many. Verse 6, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. It's hard not to be troubled. Sometimes I go to bed, I begin, my mind begins to work on some of this stuff, and I, I want to be troubled. And I got to say, no, no, no. No, 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 no. Faith and fear don't mix. 
He says, do not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. I went and did a little statistics on the web about how many wars there have been since like 300 A.D. You can't believe how many wars there have been. There have been hundreds of big, major conflicts. But if you look at this chart, in the 300s, you have a few wars. And it goes 400, 500, 600, 700,000, 1,200, 1,300, 1,400, 1,500. It goes 1,800, 1,900, and to our time. You can't, here's the way it gets. It starts with a few wars, and as the time goes on, especially when it gets about 1,700, the wars increase and increase. And it's just what Jesus said. They will increase. Nation will be rise up against nation. And if you look at the chart, you start out small, but as time goes on, and man, by the time you hit 18, 1900, there's, there's, there's wars are listed like this. And it's just what Jesus said. As time has gone on, wars and rumors of wars have dramatically increased. Dramatically. Just what he said. He says, for nations shall rise against nation, verse 7. Kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes. In various, the word divers means various places. So general signs. They're general signs of the coming. In other words, you're getting closer, you're getting closer. But he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. They're not an end in themselves. They're just the beginning of what's coming because this thing's coming to a climax. Verse 9, they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, he was talking directly to the disciples, apostles. And that actually happened to them within their lifetime. They were hated. They were driven out of Jerusalem. They were driven out of the towns of Greece. They were driven out of the towns of Turkey. Paul was stoned. He was whipped. He was beaten. Uh, all of the apostles, as far as we know, were, were martyred except for John, the apostle John, which died possibly a natural death in a very old age. We at least know that from history. And so the, immediately what he said here, these things have been fulfilled. You know, he said they, they're going to they're gonna hate you. They're going to deliver you up. They're going to kill you. But I think it's a bigger and broader than that. The, the persecution of the 1600s by the Catholic Church among Protestants was unbelievable. You got to get the book called by John Fox called Fox's Book of Martyrs. That's a good piece of information. And you go get that book and you sit down in a quiet place and you read. You're only going to be able to read about now, if you're a man, you're only going to be able to read about three, four pages at a time. If you're a woman, you can probably burn through 40, 50 pages. But, I mean, I, I took it slow when I read that thing. I took it slow. I couldn't take it. Some of it I had just weep. I'd read four or five pages and weep and say, this is the, this is the heritage? This is my heritage? These are my people? They were believers in Christ. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. They're your people. They're your heritage. We're built upon their sacrifice. Our faith is built upon their blood. I said, these are noble folks who are willing to give their land and their families and their lives for Christ and were treated so horrendously and so horribly. For what crime? They believed in Jesus. They believed the Bible was the word of God. What harm do Christians have? What threat do we pose upon this country? 
that we're going to treat our neighbors good, that we're not going to steal from our neighbors, that we're going to help you if you've got a flat tire along the side of the road, that if you need some food, we're going to feed you. Because if you look at the benevolence works done across our nation and, and the uh, faith promise and the faith missions and things for alcoholics and drug addicts, you're going to find they're Christ-based and in a majority Christ-based works. Hospitals, Baptist hospitals all over the United States. How is it that they hate us? We don't force them to believe what we believe. I've never forced somebody to be converted. Now, the Islamics do. Islam's been spread by the sword. They put a sword to your throat and say, do you confess uh, Muhammad as, you know, uh, no. Islam is a violent, violent religion with horrible history of slaughtering people that didn't believe. Christians, we had a little bad time with the... With the uh, with the, uh, oh my, the 1500s, the Crusaders. They went and won back. They didn't like the fact that the Islamists controlled the Holy Land, so the Crusaders went. And I'm not saying they were Christian, but they were sent out as generally named Christian. They went into the Holy Land and conquered the Holy Land back and got it back, 16, 1700s, against the Ottomans. He said, these nations are going to kill you for my name's sake. That's why. You want to know the real reason they hate us? For Jesus' sake. That's what he said. They're going to kill you for my sake. Because they hate light. Darkness hates light. Light bothers darkness. Makes it uncomfortable. Makes it where it can't have fun. Makes it where it doesn't like to be around you. And then shall many be offended, in verse 10, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. A judgment of God in the Bible, if, you'll, if you read through your Bible, you'll notice one of the judgments, the way God judges a nation, is he causes brother to be against brother. What's happening in the United States? This group against this group, against this group, against this group, and this group against this group, and this group against this group. That is a judgment from God. Unity is a blessing from God. And we're seeing it with our, the civil wars will be multiplied worldwide. People generally will become polarized into numerous hate groups, whites against blacks, blacks against the Spanish folks. Spanish folks against the Indians, the Indians against the whites, the Asians against the blacks, the Muslims against the Christians, the Catholics against the Protestants. Division. We see it right now in our midst. Been there a little while. And verse 11, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Well, I just mentioned in the 1800s how many false prophets and how many more are coming up. Now they've got the supposed threat of something that wasn't mentioned in the Bible. Actually, it is mentioned in the Bible, artificial intelligence. I just listened last night to a little YouTube by uh, this guy by the name of Elon Musk, and he believes one of the biggest threats to mankind, I don't believe he's a believer, but he believes the biggest threat against mankind is AI, artificial intelligence. That is a freewheeling, uh, basically, artificial intelligence that makes its own mind up what's good, bad, and ugly. 
And he's worried about that. He's definitely worried about that. I got thinking, the Bible already talked about that. The beast that comes to rule in the tribulation period is going to give life under his image. The word life there means animation. And the, the image is going to cause all men to worship the beast who haven't put to death. AI. It's already there. It's already there. It's beginning to see it, though. You begin to see it come up. Are we close to the end times? You can almost smell it. All these things are coming together quickly. It seems to point that we are close. And it says, And because iniquity, in verse 12, shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. What is iniquity? It can be defined a lot of different ways, but one good way to define iniquity is lawlessness. What's going on in Portland, Oregon? Y'all, y'all, y'all know what's going on in Portland, Oregon? It would not be where I'd want to move. What's going on in San Francisco? What's going on in L.A.? What's going on in Minnesota? What's going on in St. Paul, Minnesota? What's going on in some places around the country? It's lawlessness. Defund the police. Who came up with that? Man, I'm, I'm on the other side of that coin. I'm saying double the police. Even though I got stopped by one the other night. After he got done with me, I said, thank you, you're doing a good job. He said, I appreciate the support. <laughs> Bible says in the end times, remember the question he asked, when are these things, when are they going to take place? How's this going to work? How do we going to know the sign is? When's this going to happen? He says, well, all these things that we just mentioned are going to happen. And he said, don't be too alarmed because some of this is going to happen early and it's going to build. It's going to be a while, centuries actually. And he said the iniquity is going to abound. Lawlessness is going to abound and it's going to become more and more apparent. And because of that, the love of many shall wax cold. The word love, there's agape love. That means a commitment love. There's going to be betrayal is going to be on the rise. If you look in, I think it's 1 Timothy chapter 3. It could be 2 Timothy chapter 3. It talks about the signs of the end times. Men will be lovers of themselves, and, and they'll be betrayers, it lists in there. They'll betray each other. They'll be truce breakers, I believe the word is, and they'll betray each other. Why do you think there's divorce? Divorce is 6 out of 10. When I was a kid, and I know one that long ago, 55, 60 years ago, I, I did not know of anybody in our neighborhood that had been divorced. Nobody. I didn't know anybody that had been divorced. And when we heard of somebody being divorced, it was like, what? My brother, when he was married, his first marriage, he went to uh, the judge. He was wanting to divorce uh, this, his wife. And the judge says, get out of here. We're not going to let you divorce her. You don't have any reason to divorce her. She's not been unfaithful to you. She's a nice woman. And so you stay married. You want to work it out. I like that old judge. That's the old judges. Lawlessness. And because of lawlessness, loyalties have diminished. And everybody seems to be out kind of for themselves. But he says, But he that endures unto the end shall be saved. The same shall be saved. And verse 14, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now the internet. One sign of the end times is obviously the preaching of the gospel in all the world. 
I have my sermons for 25 years. I've had my sermons on a thing called iTunes. Maybe not quite that long. But many of my sermons for many years have been on a thing called iTunes. I was always been amazed about iTunes, how far-reaching those messages go. We, you can find out who listens to them, basically what country they're in, what city they, they're in. And we look at once in a while at those. And, and uh, one year I looked at them, we had uh, 34 nations represented, 34 nations of the world. People are listening to Little Gospel Baptist Church preacher here in Bonita Springs. 160,000 downloads one year. And people in, uh, people in Europe, English speaking, right? English speaking, but people in Europe could be military, don't know, don't know who they are, but a military. Philippines, numbers of people in the Philippines, Japan, Africa, South America, 34 foreign countries. You got out. Imagine how, if you are in a foreign country that has any access to the internet, you have access to the gospel. That's what I'm trying to get at. You have access to the gospel. This is the first time in world history that the access to the gospel has been so widespread. Even in the Muslim countries, it's a real problem among Muslims because they don't don't know what their people are doing on their own internet or on their own phone or on their own computer. And they say, I've been hearing word that thousands and thousands of Muslims are trusting Christ vis-a-vis the internet where they can get the gospel. I hope so. I hope so. He said the gospel is going to be preached throughout the world. You say, well, some of the old timers, when I was a young man in church, they said that was the, that was the, what they call the modern missions movement in the 1800s. In the 1800s, the center of Christianity was England. England was the center of Christianity. And England, the sun never set on the English, on the United Kingdom or wherever they called it. The sun never, in other words, they owned so many, they owned India, Burma, and some other places around the world. And uh, the sun never set on the, on the kingdom of England. And they were big on ships and moving all around the country. And they were, the, they were the superpower of the world at the time. But God did a great and mighty work in England. Man, sure, I can't even tell you how many. Woo, Moody, it was there. G.G., uh, let's see, uh, uh, Adoniram Judson, William Carey, uh, Hudson Taylor uh, came, out of, uh, came out of there. Adoniram Judson came out of America and went to Burma. And, and God just, God sent uh, David Livingston to Africa and, and just opened those fields up, and God's hand moved on his people and sent them all over the world with the gospel. And people began to say, well, that's this verse right here. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. But how much more today is the gospel getting around the world through the vehicle of the Internet? You say, well, poor countries don't have it. I've been to the poorest country in North and South America in Haiti. They got not, When we go down to Haiti now, there's phones everywhere. Everybody's got a phone. They have access to the Internet, access to what's going on in the world. In verse 12, go back to that if you would, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. People think the word cold there, wax cold, I looked it up, it means to chill. Thessalonians seems to indicate before the uh, rapture of the church that there's going to be a falling away first. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And that could be that chill that this talks about because of the abundance of evil 
because the abundance of lawlessness of iniquity, the love of many shall grow chilly, grow cold, start begin to begin to slow down, not be so burdened. So you say some uh, many others, including myself, sincerely believe that in the season preceding the tribulation and the rapture of the church, or the season of time that we're in, I believe it. I believe we're close. I still believe that the rapture may happen in my time. Why do I believe that? Because Paul thought it was going to happen in his time. Because the, the, the nature of the rapture is it's always been taught as imminent. Anytime, anywhere, in the blink of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last drop, boom, it's going to be and we'll be gone. So we're told to be ready. Look up for your redemption draweth not. You're always supposed to be ready to be gone. Tonight, you may go. On the way home, you may go. The rapture of the church. That's not what Jesus was talking about in the 24th chapter and 25th chapter of Matthew. But for us born-again Christians, we believe the end of the, the, the end of this 70th week of Daniel, which I don't have, of course, time to touch on. The 70th week of Daniel is close. This last seven years that God's going to deal with Israel. Some of the reasons I listed here that we believe is close is the return and regathering of Israel as a nation predicted in Jeremiah chapter 31 through 33 in Hosea and the book of Daniel. Let me say this. Uh, that was 1948. I wasn't born until 51, but I, I was raised in an independent fundamental Bible even church, and I remember the preachers when I could know enough about the Bible to catch it. I remember the preachers talking about the regathering of Israel was a miracle that had never happened before in any other nation in the world. A nation that ceased to be in existence was scattered throughout the world, usually lose their identity, and, and never regather again. And yet Israel, 1948, almost 2,000 years, in fact, 2,000 years from being scattered, actually it was scattered, I think, in uh, 70 AD specifically. They were scattered and brought back together as a nation and actually of the name Israel. And you know the rest of the story, 1967 war, 1948, 1967, 1973 war, how they've solidified and solidified their control in that area. They've taken all of Jerusalem now, and it's theirs. The capital of Israel now is Jerusalem. Can you believe it? That's a sign. That's a big sign. That's a huge sign. The one world spirit of the age, number two, its desire to unite and break down all national and economic barriers, to have this one currency, this push on digital currency. I hope you're smart enough to vote against it. Break down all economic barriers conforming to the very plan of the Antichrist of Revelation, 2 Thessalonians. It's, thirdly, the tendency for Christianity to, be, uh, to begin to cast out sound doctrine. This is part of that falling away. Uh, the church will fall away in some degree. For the sake of, for the sake of popularity, for the sake of big crowds, they, they literally compromise the clear teaching of Scripture. They have women preachers that cannot be. They have women deacons that cannot be in the Bible. If the Bible teaches that women deacons are okay and women pastors are okay, then I don't believe anything in the Bible. Are you with me? I don't believe the Bible's true if that's true. Because the Bible's too clear on those topics, too straightforward on those topics. There is no wiggle room in those topics. And so many other areas of, of bringing the world into the church, they just compromise. That falling away is happening all around us. Number four, the desire of Israel for the return of their Messiah. They've been going to the Wailing Wall. I went to the Wailing Wall. You folks go to the Wailing Wall? You, you, heard, you heard them praying their prayers, the Wailing Wall. Do they let you go to the Wailing Wall and actually touch it? 
Okay, there's some, they've had some trouble with that. But we went to the Wailing Wall, which is just, I believe, the foundation stones of, of, of the wall around the, the temple area. And, and they go there and they, they wail, oh, Messiah, come back. And they put, they put little verses in the, in the cracks of those stones there and little prayers in the scratch. They've been praying for their Messiah since 1948. Come back, come back, Messiah. The rise of Orthodox groups of Israel. But more than the prophetic implications of, of these verses, the principle of how iniquity affects people is revealed in that verse 14, verse 13 and 14. It's there. Home of the rise of homosexuality. The wickedness of movies. The wickedness of immorality. The lack of absolute, there's almost no modesty left whatsoever. Um, I mean, look at swimwear in the 1800s and swimwear today. I'll take that back. Don't look at swimwear today. <laughs> TV, magazines. Look in the 50s, what was considered acceptable and what's considered acceptable today. In other words, what direction are we moving? We're falling away. It's becoming more and more accepted in churches. Things are becoming accepted in churches that were absolutely condemned in churches when I was 35, 40 years ago. Now, have they become okay? No. God doesn't change. He doesn't vary. What's wrong then is wrong today. What's wrong is wrong is right. Now, now something, preferences sometimes were taught as, as uh, principles, and those things do change. Preferences like maybe roller skating was, was uh, considered an abomination to some of those old preachers back then, and roller skating, there's really nothing inherently wrong with roller skating. So you, when they taught a preference as a principle, of course those change. But I'm talking about real Bible principles. They don't change. They don't change with time. They don't change with centuries. They do not change. But it's like a frog being boiled in water. How many here have ever boiled a frog? I got three, four hands. Now, I hope PETA don't come in here and sue us. When I was a kid, we caught a frog, put him in water, put him on, this, put him on the stove. And we turned the stove on and let the water get warm. And he was happy. He was in his water. He was a happy man. He was in the water, you know, looking up really good. And the water kept getting hot and getting hotter. He could have jumped out anytime. He could have gotten out of that water anytime he wanted. Just, it was easy to just jump right out of the water. He stayed in that water till he died. The water got so hot he finally died. That's what's happening in Christianity. More and more things are being tolerated. More and more things are being accepted. More and more things are being allowed. Eventually till you have nothing left. And you so compromise the things of the Bible and the things of God that God himself has to discipline you. The falling away of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is upon us. So my message to you tonight is Lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. I believe we're close. I'm not saying it can't be 25, 35, 45 years from now. Maybe time with God is not like time, not like with us. But brother, it's close. I wouldn't be surprised tonight. I wouldn't be surprised by the time my voice hit the back wall that the rapture of the church would happen. I remember old Bob Shelton, God bless his memory, He's been in heaven a while. He taught on the rapture of his whole life and prophecy. This is the main subject of his teaching and preaching 
for most of the last 30, 40 years of his life. And Bob would say, I believe the rapture's coming. I believe. Well, he died. He got 92 years old and died and went to heaven. But he wasn't wrong. It was close. It's close. Be ready. Be right with God. Don't let anything step between you and the Savior. And hang on. It's going to be a wild ride. And maybe God will let you give your life for him. Maybe so. Father in heaven, we just pray the Holy Spirit of God would give us grace and mercy. Help us to know the times that you said. You put it right down in print there. When these things come, lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. My God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would explain these better than I have. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.